Today's solo show on the podcast is talking about differentiation and how to support students with IEPs or with 504s. Honestly, I think it helps support all of your students in all of your classes, regardless of having an IEP or not. Get excited. We're diving into differentiation today in a way that makes it feel manageable and not overwhelming. I'm Lindsay Lyons, and I love helping school communities envision bold possibilities, take brave action to make those dreams a reality, and sustain an inclusive, anti-racist culture where all students thrive. I'm a former teacher leader turned instructional coach, educational consultant, and leadership scholar. If you're a leader in the education world, whether you're a principal, superintendent, instructional coach, or a classroom teacher excited about school-wide change like I was, you are a leader. And if you enjoy nerding out about the latest educational books and podcasts, if you're committed to a lifelong journey of learning and growth and being the best version of yourself, you're going to love the Time for Teachership podcast. Let's dive in. Supporting students with IEPs was my job for seven years when I taught high school in New York City public schools. This is such an important aspect of teaching, supporting all students with all kinds of approaches to learning. But it's also, I think, a huge component of teaching in general. Whether a student has an IEP or not, everyone is going to learn differently. And so I think a lot of the principles of teaching classes of special education or students with IEPs, students with disabilities, is applicable to the wider audience of students and classes. And so today I want to talk through the principle of differentiation. It can feel like an incredibly overwhelming thing because it is so multifaceted, because there are so many things that a teacher could do to personalize or differentiate the learning for students. Sometimes that overwhelm just shuts us down as teachers. I know that has certainly happened for me. There are so many things I could be doing, I think to myself. So where do I even begin? It almost feels hopeless. And I'm hoping that this episode will give us some concrete definitions of what differentiation is versus what it is not. And also some ideas for what to literally do. What are the practical things that I can do? to personalize the instruction for my students with IEPs and also for all of my students. These principles work for everyone. So here we go. Differentiation, I use the language of Tomlinson. Carol Ann Tomlinson talks about differentiation and she talks about four different aspects or kind of types of differentiation. So I'll walk through those today and give some concrete examples. At the end of the episode, I'll also be sharing in the show notes a specific template for an activity that I would use for students for multiple types of differentiation. So of those four, at least three, I've used this template with. So let's dive into the definition of differentiation. So Tomlinson says the differentiation is a teacher's proactive response to learner needs. It's shaped by mindset and it's guided by the general principles of differentiation, which we'll get into in a moment. So I just want to highlight that this piece about proactivity, right, being proactive as opposed to reactive is a really critical piece of differentiation and generally personalization of learning for students. This idea of being proactive requires us to have a knowledge of our students, a knowledge of the principles of differentiation, 
and a knowledge of some of the practices or strategies that we could apply in order to meet the needs of our students. Of course, there's also that crucial mindset piece. And so we'll talk about that briefly, the mindset of how we think about students and how we think about instruction and differentiation is really critical for student success and our success in differentiating specifically. So when we think about what differentiation is, we're talking about really a quality curriculum. We're talking about a supportive environment. We're talking about leading with students, co-constructing the curriculum with them. We're responding to all of the various needs of our students. And every time we assess, ideally formatively rather than summatively is the more frequent type of assessment. We're using that assessment to inform our instruction moving forward. So that assessment isn't just assessment of learning, but it's assessment for learning and assessment as learning as well, because we're teaching students to be reflective around what they need and advocate for their own needs as well. So there's a lot of purposes of assessment beyond just getting a grade for the grade book and pinpointing where a student is in time. It can and should inform our instruction moving forward. And I think many teachers are aware of this. It's just this laundry list of all the things that differentiation can be and can look like and the purposes that it serves can be a bit overwhelming. So let's talk just briefly about what differentiation is not, and then we'll get into those four types. So it's not tracking students. It's not putting students on a path where they have no option to get out and move across to, you know, another path to learning. It is fluid. It varies by particular subject area and even within that by skill. So it's not this singular path. It is a multitude of entry points that students can engage in to learn. And so I think that's really important. One of the pieces that I find helpful to recognize the fluidity and the learned component of uh, skill development rather than the static component of skill development is Tomlinson's use of the phrase readiness instead of ability. So instead of saying students have a particular ability, right, they're high skilled or low skilled or something like this, that reflects that kind of permanent nature of, of their status around the ability of a skill, we instead say readiness. They're at the readiness for this type of skill um, at this type of level, right? And if they are not there, that just simply means they're not ready yet. That idea of growth mindset, that idea that we're not tracking, right? Another really critical thing that I made the mistake of thinking differentiation was as an early first, second year teacher, maybe even third year teacher, was that I'm not dumbing down my teaching. Sometimes I used to distill all of the information from a textbook or something that students needed to read or understand. And I would just distill it down into very small bite-sized pieces and then give it to students to kind of download and memorize. And that just wasn't what needed to happen. My students didn't learn from it. I took out all of the nuance, all of the things around skill development of reading that they needed. And that wasn't helpful to them. It wasn't helpful for me as a teacher to do. And so I think one of the things that I like to think of instead of, you know, quote unquote, dumbing down teaching is scaffolding up as opposed to reducing what you're asking students to do. So we still have those high expectations. We just pair it with high support. As we look at the four types of differentiation, I'll briefly name them and then we'll dive in a bit deeper. So those are content, process, product, and then affect or environment is the fourth one that Tomlinson names. So when we're talking about content, we're talking about what students are actually learning. 
So is there something that students are really interested in? Can they take a particular subtopic of a larger topic that students are interested in that will motivate them, that will inspire them to dig a little bit deeper, that will capture their interest. We know motivation is a really big piece of learning. And so if learning is a struggle, we need something to keep students engaged in that learning struggle and come out the other side. Content choice is a huge piece of this. So how do we personalize the content for students' interests and students' strengths? We're not always differentiating just by student need, right? We can do it by strengths and interests as well. The other piece of this is that some students may be kind of shutting down in the classroom because they actually already know a particular type of content, right? Just because a student has an IEP does not mean that they aren't already familiar with the particular content area. It doesn't mean that they need remedial support around every piece of content. Again, there's those different pathways, those different entry points. There is no one singular track. So personalizing the content while maybe overwhelming at first because you're thinking every student needs to learn every single thing the same at the same time, um, that personalization can really go a long way. The second piece, which I think is probably the most common for uh, special educators to turn to, it certainly was when I was teaching, is process. And so enabling students to engage in the material in a variety of ways. I think about you know, the multiple means of engagement, representation, and expression, the universal design for learning, right, those three pieces, is a huge piece of designing instruction that will support students with IEPs and students all have ages and backgrounds. That process piece enables students to say, I read really well. I'm very engaged when I read a text on paper or on a screen, or I am really engaged when I can watch a video and I can pause it and I can rewind. And that visual auditory combo was really helpful for me. Or for a learner who really likes the hands-on experience of a field trip or engaging in um, you know, making clay models of something, that's another type of input that we, again, often kind of reduce, I think, sometimes because we overuse it and we reduce it to these simplified ideas of you're a type of learner that you always have to be in this place. That's not necessarily the case. Uh, we don't always need to do uh, clay activities with kinesthetic learners, and people can be multiple things. So some days a video might be really right up a student's alley, and the next day they really want to read a text, or they just recognize that it's important for them to build their capacity to engage with the text, because that's how a lot of standardized tests are framed. Also, how they make sense of things, how they think of things is going to vary for each student. So some students like to talk it out. They like to share, this is how I'm processing the information. I want to talk with a partner or with the teacher. I'm really verbal and how I want to express and think through these constructs. Other students and other people in general may like to write things down or they might like to jump right into creating a product, right? For those folks who don't like reading the directions before they create something when they uh, buy a product out of a box, right? They just want to put it together. Those students might want to dive right into application and they don't necessarily need to read about it, discuss it, write about it. They just need that hands-on piece. So again, how students are making sense of this information is another key piece of the process element. Now, when we talk about product, we're talking about usually the summative assessment. So at the end of a unit, how are students expressing what they have learned in the class? A lot of times, historically, we've asked students to write a paper, a written essay. 
And for many of my students, that was a struggle because their verbal expression was often off the charts just for my particular group of students. That's not true for every student with an IEP, but for them, it was very much the case that they would prefer to talk about it. And so this was important to recognize their preference in delivery of the summative assessment. And for me to be able to provide that avenue to say, you can go on to vocaroo.com, for example, and record an audio clip of you talking through exactly what your essay would have said, but you're going to share it with me verbally, or you are going to create some sort of visual, maybe a slideshow or a video because you're really creative. And I know you have these ideas. I know you understand the content and can even apply it perhaps better than a lot of other students. And in order for me to see that shine, I need to give you a lot of different opportunities that aren't just writing to be able to express that. And so again, we can offer some choice here in how students demonstrate their learning. What's the product? Again, we'll always scaffold up. So if they need some support in terms of a timeline for a longer project, having those check-in points, having things laid out to say, by this point, we're going to have four slides done, or we're going to have you know two minutes of video recorded, or I know you want to transition here from this idea to this idea. Let's add in a sentence starter. I can give you some sentence frames. We can always scaffold where needed, but that overall choice is really important. And again, maintaining those high expectations is critical. So just because a student is recording something via audio or creating a visual representation does not mean we lower the standards or the expectations of what they're going to be able to share with us. Those content standards, those skill-based standards are still absolutely critical to the grading process, the assessment process. A lot of times, I would be asked to kind of grade a student on a different rubric or a different set of outcomes or say, okay, well, that was not meeting the standards for this student who doesn't have an IEP, but we'll let it meet the standards for the student because they have an IEP. And that's not what it's about. Again, it's high expectations, scaffolding up, high support. The fourth component of differentiation from Tomlinson is affect or environment. And so this is really just finding places to make the learning experience more joyful, more safe, teaching the whole child, breeding a sense of student independence. I love the idea of creating in students this sense of we are mathematicians or we are historians as opposed to we are learning history or we are learning math. And this is something Tomlinson talks about, right? This idea of my identity is shaped by being part of this class and being successful in this class. That's a really supportive, positive environment where a student can thrive. Sometimes a student may need to just have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with the teacher. So again, that affect environment, that personalization of providing that student with the opportunity to do that for a couple of minutes is absolutely critical to that student's functioning, perhaps, in the rest of the class that day, in later classes. And so that's really critical that we're aware of all four pieces of differentiation here. Now to wrap up, I will be sharing in the show notes a choice board template because I think offering students choice and on a larger scale voice in how they learn, what they learn, how they demonstrate their learning, what the learning environment is like, such as where they're learning in the physical classroom or at home in hybrid spaces, how they're scheduling their day in terms of when they're learning, um, the timeline for when they need to submit. All of these things are really critical in motivating students and allowing students to construct an environment for learning that is ideal for them. And so I think a big part of this is 
the self-awareness that is required to be able to make those choices for themselves around what they learn and how they learn, as well as you know, scaffolding up that process with some key questions. And so the template that I've created for the choice board I'll be sharing with you has kind of a, a bit of a scaffold to a very light scaffold that you can either add to or take away when students don't need it anymore. But it helps them remember what exactly am I doing in this choice board? What am I trying to learn? How do I demonstrate my learning? Either by typing a response in the response box at the end or going to voguru.com and recording an audio clip and linking that in the response box at the end or creating a visual using something like Google Drawing, right? Or pulling a few visuals from online to construct a picture of what I have learned. But this idea of, of choice is really critical. And so I wanna say this choice board that you'll take a look at is for content or process. You'll see um, on one of the uh, rows or columns, there's content and the other one is process in terms of the different resources students could click into and you can link for your own resources, whatever grade or content area you're teaching, personalize it to yourself. Or you can also reframe it as product. And so the kind of tic-tac-toe looking choice board can become an opportunity for students to choose the type of technology or the type of format that they want to use to be able to express what they've learned in the unit. So feel free to use that for content process or product. I have not used a choice board for affect or environment, but I do think it's absolutely possible. And so I invite you to be creative with that and think about how you could use a choice board for students to be able to have some voice and choice in what their environment looks like or the type of affect that they would like to um, have or engage with around teacher peer relationships, that kind of thing. A final note on differentiation before I leave you with the choice board to personalize for your students, you do not need to differentiate in all four of these ways for every student for every day. That is far too much. And the key here to this episode was we want to reduce the overwhelm so that it feels manageable and doable. So pick maybe one piece to dive into, just process for now, for example. Or I'm going to identify four students in my class who really need differentiation and I'm going to try some of these ideas out with them first. Um, and then I'm going to expand the whole class and really make my entire classroom a place for personalized learning for all students, regardless of whether they have an IEP or not. So again, you do not need to differentiate in all four ways for every student every single day. Please keep that in mind. Everything that you create around differentiation is one step forward for the personalization of your students' learning and for your larger classroom community as a whole. I can't wait to hear what you put together. Thanks for listening, amazing educators. If you loved this episode, you can share it on social media and tag me at Lindsay Beth Alliance or leave a review of the show so leaders like you will be more likely to find it. To continue the conversation, you can head over to our Time for Teachership Facebook group and join our community of educational visionaries. Until next time, leaders, continue to think big, act brave, and be your best self. Thank you.